Welcome to the Finding Refuge podcast. My name is Michelle Cassandra Johnson, and I am glad you're here. The Finding Refuge podcast emerged from a desire to have conversations about the intersection of grief and liberation. This podcast explores how we can find refuge during unsettling and uncertain times. It features guests from various backgrounds, lineages, and lived experiences. I hope you enjoy listening. I'm excited to bring you today's episode of the podcast. I had the honor of interviewing Ayana Freedom. And Ayana has followed Skill in Action in my work for many years and interviewed me on her podcast. And we actually got to meet in person this past August at Kripalu when Ayana attended a retreat that Carrie Kelly and I led focused on Carrie's work with American Detox and my body of work with Finding Refuge. And I'm excited for you to listen to what Ayana has to share in our conversation. Let me tell you a little bit more about Ayana. Ayana Freedom is an author, podcast host, yoga teacher, L-I-C-S-W, that means social worker, licensed social worker, and the founder of BeFreeWellness.org. Be Free is a nonprofit organization designed to transform people's lives by providing free and affordable mental health, movement, and mindfulness services to those whose lives are affected by trauma, addiction, and oppression. She has led multiple trauma-sensitive and equity and belonging programs. She is a lover of breath and lives on Cape Cod with her daughter and dog, Sawyer. Enjoy the episode. All right, Ayana, it's good to see you and nice to be in space with you. Thank you for being on the the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's so nice to be in space with you. Last time I saw you, we were at Kripalu. We were in physical space together (laughs) for a retreat, which was lovely. I'm so glad we actually got to meet each other in person. I think that was the first time. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot has happened since then, so I'll fill you in. Well, this conversation is right on time, then. I'd love to <laughs> to know what's going on. And before we get into that, I'd love for you to share some about who you are and what you do in the world and your practice and anything you'd like to share with the listeners. Sure. My name's um, Ayana Freedom, and um, I'm currently living in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, where there's nice beaches and It's kind of cold in the winter, but I love it. Um, It's very quaint. Let's see. My journey started uh, about five years ago um, when I got sober. And um, I started looking into all the ways in which um, I needed to heal. And um, I've been a social worker for a really long time. So I have my LACSW. That's my background. You and I share that in common. And I was in active addiction while I was doing all those things, um, but just kept it very secret. And as time went on and I was adopting my daughter and um, just needing to look at some other things, I found myself in um, addiction um, rehab for, and I stayed there two times and um, it really kind of sparked the journey into which um, my career has taken off today. So I start with that just to say, 
all of this comes from that place, really. Um, and it came from a deep place in myself where um, I loved yoga, I loved movement, um, I loved talk therapy, but I wasn't finding that that just talk therapy was healing people in the way that we needed and myself. Um, so I kind of navigated and searched for ways in which to integrate all of them. And social justice and oppression were also not interwoven into all of them. Um, your work is, and one, your work is one of the one people that I follow um, that can integrate yoga and social justice and people of color and BIPOC communities. But like seven years ago, when I was getting sober, there really was not, there wasn't. Like, this is kind of like a new thing. Um, so I created a, um, a business called Be Free Wellness um, and started very small. Um, and now it has grown to a nonprofit organization. Um, I turned it into a nonprofit because um, COVID hit and it was very apparent that, um, you know, a lot of the work I do is around trauma and helping people understand trauma in the body and how to move it out. Um, and then it became very apparent to me that it wasn't, you know, no, everyone experienced trauma after COVID, like people's brains could actually attach to like, it, it's not this huge thing, trauma, even though it can be. Trauma can actually be one interaction, one perception that lands in the body. So um, I turned it into a nonprofit and uh, we just turned into our second year of the nonprofit. And um, I am the author of two books. My second one just came out a couple months ago or actually November now. Uh, the first one I wrote um, came out in 2021. And that was really my journey of telling people it's basically a memoir of how I did all those things around movement, breath in particular, um, and meditation about how to really work with um, trauma and healing and addiction. And the second one was about kind of people wanted more tools. They were like, well, how do I do that like specifically? <laughs> so um, I was like, let me think about that. And so I was going through a lot of transitions in my life personally. So um, it was just a great opportunity to sit down and kind of write um, how I got to the place um, that I am. So that is the short version. Mm -hmm. I know we'll get into a, a longer conversation, so the longer version, and appreciate you sharing some about your journey and um, how you came to be in this particular moment and with your nonprofit and your work and practice and the books you've written. And I'm curious to know, I don't, I'm asking this question sort of processing it as I'm asking it because I don't know if there's one answer to it. I doubt there is. Um, and I have Becoming Free here on my desk. Oh, there you go. Um, your first <laughs> book. And I, the question is really about like what prompted you to begin your recovery process. And the reason I'm hesitant to ask this is because I don't think of recovery as like one point or one, it's like you know, it's, it's over time and it's an ongoing process. And so just know that I'm asking this question with that awareness of like, yeah, not a one answer and you're done with it. It's ongoing, but I, I'm sure listeners would love to hear and just sort of receive the medicine in like mm. what prompted you into recovery or to recognize that you wanted to recover, needed to recover. Yeah, that's, that's actually a great question. It is a journey. And I always talk to other people about, um, you know, if they are trying to get sober and then they relapse and then they're like, oh, my God, my life is over. I can't believe I did that. And I'm like, no, no, no. 
this is an evolving thing, right? It's an up and down. Nothing is healing is not linear, whether you're talking about alcohol addiction or anything else. Um, and that was similar for me. I probably was in active addiction, I would say, for about 20 years of my life. And that the knowing was always in the back of my brain. And then the drinking was always in front of my face. So like the shame, every time I had the thought, it just went to alcohol instead of something happening in between. And so when I think about what was the one thing that happened in between, it was when I really was adopting my daughter um, and she was three years old. And I realized that, you know, I did not want to, my mother was a, in an addiction as well. And um, I was like, I do not, I cannot raise another being in this world with this feeling that I have. Um, and the best that I can do um, is to see if I can remove alcohol. Um, and so that was sort of like the catalyst of it. Obviously there wasn't, there was a lot of things in my life that I hadn't looked at, a lot of trauma specifically, just with my family and my mother um, that contributed to addiction. And I was obviously just afraid to look at that stuff you know, because it was so painful. But I knew, um, I don't know how much information you want, but I knew there was one moment in which I talked about in the book where I am, I'm going to pick her up from preschool and I'm, I'm pretty drunk. And I was um, very aware that I can't, that's not okay. Um, and so I called my husband, I said, I need you to come pick me up. I need you to take me to rehab like this moment. And if you don't this moment, I won't go. Um, so that was sort of like the breaking point. And from then on, it was, you know, really the first, the first time you go, it's like getting the stuff out of your system, but there's not real healing because you're such, I always call it like a deer in headlights. Like when you remove the substance, it's just, you're so raw that it's almost so hard to do the healing. So then um, I did get sober for about six months and then I relapsed. Um, and at first I thought it was like the worst thing that ever happened to me, but it was such the best thing that ever happened to me because not only did I have then the alcohol out of my system, but I had now some tools and some understanding of what it would take for me to get into recovery in an active way. So I don't, I know we're not all healed or like, I'm not like, you know, recovered, even though some people say that because um, healing's a journey, but I do think there's a way in which you can get yourself grounded enough to understand yourself enough where you don't have to reach for that. And you can, you can sort of heal the other things in yourself. And, and for me, breath was the thing that saved my life for sure. Thank you for sharing that and, and going there with that question and in listening um, and reading um, becoming free. I am just aware of, the choice points and how just in listening to that response, it sounds like you actively have to continue to choose to care for yourself. And part of that is your commitment to recovery and healing. And, it, and the other thing that stood out for me and what in your response was the, when you said, I always knew right in the back of my head, I kind of knew like, <laughs> I don't want to be operating this way or there's another way. I don't know what the conscious thought was, but then in front of you was the substance that sort of then usurped this, you know, conscious thought of like, I don't, I don't actually want to do this or there's another path. And that really made me think about like the higher self or the mm -hmm. other sort of realm or the just knowing that one might have, even if they're not changing their behavior. Right. right. But that that was present for you. And there was an awareness of it, too. I don't think people are always aware of that um, and how spiritual practice actually amplifies that awareness in some way or it can. So it really struck me when you when you name that. And it makes me think about accountability and accountability to self and 
um, how practice calls us into being accountable or can. And that might look like recovery from substance use or it might look like something else, but it did make me think of that. Yeah, that's such a good point. It's because um, people always ask me that um, that relapse so often are like, how did I get it? Right. Like there isn't such a getting it. But it, it's similar to when I do trainings. I'm sure that you have been a part of trainings with anti-racism workshops in which people are like, I, how do you do it? Like, like well, I don't get it. Like, how do you like just embody that all the time? Um, with social justice work with particularly white people ask that question. And I'm, the best way I can describe is like, listen, when I wake up, I put my feet on the ground. I choose to be in recovery that day. Like there, if I don't do that, I'm off. Like there is something wonky. I get nervous. I get anxious. I get right. Cause then all the emotions get tripped up and I'm not in like charge of them. I'm it's, it's happening. I'm reacting. Um, so similar as, as I tell people, like you got to wake up and like be committed to um, <laughs> living a life of, of anti-racism um, in that way. And you have to figure out what that means for you. Um, but yeah, it's an active thing that I do have to choose um, every day. And in the beginning, I had to choose it literally like every moment, every moment, because if I didn't, I would slip back into these negative thoughts of you're not good enough. You're not going to be able to do this. You're not a good mom anyway. Like all that cycle of, you know, self-talk that the hatred that I was, you know, just obviously related to trauma, but yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I appreciate what you named about the, because I had written down recovery and like globally, what does recovery <laughs> look like? Because we're talking about it specific to substance use. And then you talked about it related to anti-racism work. And earlier when I wrote down recovery globally, globally I was thinking about the, the metaphor, right, of this experience of recovering from a substance and then recovering from systems like white supremacy, mm -hmm. even though we're situated, depending on our identities, differently. But what you said is so potent around every day you have to make a choice to, to be in recovery. And what I think you're calling people into related to anti-racism work is, or, or liberatory practice is like every day you have to choose how you're going to show up, right? Mm -hmm. It's not an opt-in or opt-out. And it's very, it's very similar in that way to when we decide to heal and prioritize our healing, not in a vacuum because it's in relationship to other beings, but when we, when we, choose that it's like a continual process of making that choice again and again which i think is important for people to hear and recognize yeah and as you were talking with the one thing that came to mind that um you know i learned a lot from you but one of the most amazing things is just how you talk about the collective and doing things um together and obviously people in recovery they've sort of adopted that as a structure right so aa and all the the ways in which um, but it's just a be the best way I can and say it, like healing in any in any sort of fashion, you know, we have to do it together because our energy bodies are connected. And that's the only way we can heal. You really can't heal in isolation. It's like humans are designed to be in community and collective healing. Mm -hmm. um, can't wait for your book. I'm like pre-ordering it already. So <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it is about that healing and how we do it together. And that that's actually more our natural state and way of being than than operating as if we're separate and can't ask for support and don't heal in community when in fact, that's kind of the way to heal, even if individually, we have to make the choice to recover or heal. I do think it's connect. It's like in service of what and often that's the in service of something bigger in service of your daughter that day when you were like, I need to go to recovery now. I'm not actually going, you know, it's like 
that was connected to another being, mm -hmm. right? It was not, there was a recognition um, of impact or potential impact on another being or being. So that collective connection. And I would love to hear some about becoming free in the sense of like, it is a memoir. And I, from my impression and just having interacted with you and, and our conversations, like you're open about your experience and very direct about it. And which I do feel like is in service of the collective and, and transparent. And so I'm curious to know what um, you needed to practice as you wrote Becoming Free to like stay grounded and steady because my sense is, even if you were aware of your story that in my own experience of writing the story and then exposing it, it's a little <laughs> different than like, I know the story and it's internal to me versus like, I'm going to tell the world a, a story about my life that they may or may not know, right? The details. And so I'm curious to know what that was like. And if there were certain practices, you mentioned breath work and breath practice, but certain things that helped you stay steady through that, throughout that process. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> the coming out of the book, I always talk about like the coming out of it because that was, that was a whole scene that's different than actually writing the book. But I'll talk about both because, you know, it's all the process of it. Yeah, that one took a, a lot longer than the second one. And it was hard. Um, what ended up happening, I had a really good editor. And we met a couple times just to go over the proposal and, and help shape the book. But I was stalling in, in writing it. And she was like, what's happening? And I was like, this is hard. Like, I don't know how to do this by myself. I don't know how to. I, I know there's a story in there and I know I want to write it. And I know for my own, you know, I got to get it out. And I know I want the world to have this. Um, but I'm, I get stuck in like the trauma of it. Right. I don't want to relive it at all. Um, and so I did adopt, you know, I had to meditate before, after, if, if for any reason I was getting like to, I mean, I know myself enough now where like I get super agitated in a way that's going to be destructive versus healing. So I knew when to stop. But what ended up happening is she's like, is it easier for you to write or to speak? And I said, to speak, I could tell you the whole story today if you wanted. So she came over and just um, recorded a lot of it. Um, and then we would go back and tease it out. And then she would sort of transcribe and I would go back. And so it ended up being this really nice interaction around the book. Um, and we had to do some research about my mom and and try to figure out certain gaps in the story. Um, but that became, you know, fascinating as opposed to like scary. And she was like, oh my God, I found this news article from like WTBH because she used to work there. And so it ended up being sort of nice. And, you know, just a process of just being really open with her. Like I can't, there were times where, you know, around like the holidays, wasn't gonna write, just it wasn't gonna happen. And so that's really, I think what, what ended up happening. It was a really nice process in that way. And then the coming out of the book was was actually harder than writing it. It um I, I put some people out there. I mean, I the story is true and it's very, very honest. But people that do things that harm other people, particularly myself, were not happy that I said those things out loud in a book, <laughs> even though they were true. Um, and so that that six months after it came out was pretty difficult. Things are better now, um, but there was a lot of reaction and I had to, I think I had to do more work around that than I did actually the process. Once my editor got and I got in that rhythm, it was actually great. 
that I had to do a lot, a lot of yoga to be like, this is not mine. I don't own this. This is their reaction. It's okay for me to tell my story and I'm telling it so that I can heal and other people can heal. So I had to like write that down on a piece of paper and then do yoga and then breathe and then just keep doing that as a daily practice for about six months until they sort of got their own stuff together and we were able to have conversations that weren't hurtful. My family in particular, I'm speaking of. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I can, I mean, imagine um, the disruption, right? Which I think happens when, when on a macro scale, when like people tell a truth that's a counter narrative to what dominant culture wants us to tell. And then the micro, which feels macro in a family system of like, I'm actually going to tell the truth about this. And I'm exposing myself, but I'm exposing the dysfunction in our family system yep. or just a story. Sometimes it's not even, and people are like, what, you know, what you're exposing me to, even though that's, that wasn't actually your intention, I, I gather, but like, it's part of the story, right? And it's part of the healing, I would say. It's part of the like telling of, of you know, the truth and then the healing that can come from that. And I can imagine that was a lot to hold energetically. Um, and it sounds like you had to be really consistent with your practice and an affirmation, right? And separating <laughs> out what is yeah. mine and what is theirs. Yeah, and my editor was funny because I would say, can you take that part out? And she'd be like, Ayana, it is the story. It is part of the story. It is you. Like, are you asking me because you don't think it fits or because you're afraid you're going to hurt other people? And it was always like, oh, because I'm afraid I'm going to hurt other people. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. she was she's like, I'm going to ask you to choose which is more important. And I said, I want to tell my story. So mm -hmm. I'm glad that you you did, you have, and um, that your editor was encouraging and that that's like a good editor, right? To be like, oh, she was not letting me get away. But she's like, no, that is the story. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. I would love for you to, to talk some about specifically breath work um, and um, breath practice, because you mentioned that a couple of times before. And, and what about working with the breath was so liberating or opening or allowed you to, to heal or release what needed to release? Yeah, so there was this one moment that I'll never forget when I was in rehab. It was the second time, and I was um, just struggling with so much emotions, particularly around my relationship with my mom who had passed. Um, and just there was so much complexity around that relationship. Like, I loved her deeply, but she did harm me deeply in her addiction. And so I was on the mat and I was um, just crying and I realized like all these negative thoughts were in my head. And then all of a sudden, like I took a deep breath and I could see, it's almost like I could see the, the walls sort of break down as I was breathing. So it connected me to the fact that like, wait a second, <laughs> if I breathe in this way or with my body in this moment, I think I have control over my thoughts. So then I was like super fascinated, right? So <laughs> then I just started to do that. And I was like, oh my God. And then if I breathe into my chest, what does that feel like? If I breathe in my nose and then out of my mouth or switch that around, what does that feel like? If certain emotions are connected to my gut, because I'm in pain with my gut, how can I breathe into my belly or in my back, right? And then there's all this tension with the ears and the shoulders and where am I holding that? 
Um, so I literally was like, I took two hours and just did that. Um, and then just wrote, wrote down stuff about it. And it was like one of those moments where you're like, what? I've had this one tool my whole life <laughs> and I didn't know it. Right. I had this whole moment of, you know, I don't, everyone asked me like, you talk about breath so much. You love it so much. I don't, I don't do like specific breath tools. Like I, I mean, not tools, but like, um, I know there's a million breath techniques out there, right. You can count to four you can do, you know, they're all titled different things. I, I am just really aware that I have to bring breath into my body every single moment, day, time, especially if I'm stressed or overwhelmed, that breath will help me. Um, and then I did, you know, obviously more research around it with yoga and meditation around, you know, the science behind that. And, and it's science that's been there for hundreds and thousands of years that, you know, it really is the one thing that can calm down your parasympathetic nervous system is bringing breath into your body. And it's actually like one of the only things I'm not even sure if there's another tool that's more impactful than that when you are in like fight or flight response or your um, stress level is super high or you think, you know, you're in danger or any of that, your body's looking for breath. I always tell people like when you have a panic attack, your your body's convinced you're in an unsafe space where you can't get breath in, which is why you're like hyperventilating to so that. That's like. I don't know. I'm like in love with breath and just because it has that magic. And I tell people in recovery all the time, it's there. You don't got to pay for it. Like you, you, it's just, it's right. It's free. You can do as much as long as you want, as little as you want. <laughs> but like, yeah, that's my thought. Yeah. And it, and how, um, in listening to you talk about it, you're talking about conscious breath, right. Mm -hmm. And our relationship um, with the breath and changing the way one breathes and accessing a deeper breath or sending breath to a certain part of the, the body or engaging breath to shift an emotional state, right? These are the ancient teachings, right? And, and it's making me think about the, like the unlearning around the way we may have breathed, right? For decades. And then the or ancestrally, even what gets passed on related to the breath and our relationship to it and access to it. And, and then the learn, like the, the training or learning that has to happen to reorient to the, how, how actually, I mean, truly liberatory the breath is in the way you described. Like it's a, it sounds like there was like, oh, the breath is doing this for me, right? So it means the breath was doing something else before your body mm -hmm. was breathing but your relationship to it shifted in that moment of like, oh, it's changing the way I feel, this physical sensation or emotion or like the breath as an ally is what it's making. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And how, and what you said about how it's there, it's there, yeah. right? We, it's a tool we have until we don't anymore, right? And so it's like, but it's right? present, you know, as long as we're here in these physical forms, it's here, it's present for us. So how do we engage it? to heal. Yeah, that's so funny. I wrote a chapter, I, I'm assuming it's called Breath in the second book, um, while I was at Kapala with you, just about how breath really holds us in these moments in which sometimes we can't hold ourselves. But because of the way in which breath can be with our body, and even if our mind's going crazy, that it's just such a beautiful container to hold us. Um, something you said in a workshop sparked that whole chapter. So, <laughs> but yeah, mm -hmm. it was about breath and just how it like 
hold you and can be your ally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With that, I would love for you to talk about your second book. And I know you mentioned earlier that, I mean, one of the links between the two is that with becoming free, people were like, okay, now how do I, how do I do this? Right. And, and wanted some tools and strategies, but I'd love for you to share some about it and even the process of writing it and the link between the two for you. Yeah, it was funny. I didn't like in tend to like set out to write a second book I because um, <laughs> it was like the first one kind of just came out um so I uh was getting separated from my husband and um I, I knew for myself one of the things that helps me get through transitions is writing um and so I just sat down and started to write um every day for a little while and then um found not an editor, but it was a, a writing coach um, who is now my agent. It was through an agency and now she's my publisher. And um, we just started to have this really nice relationship and um, met every week. And the book really just started to develop. And so she was sort of coaching me around. Yeah, people really want tools of, of how you did, how you got to where you feel free, you know, and becoming free. It was like you told the story, um, you know, of, of the layout of it, but like, how do you live your life in a way where you have some kind of tools? <laughs> um, and I wanted to write about, cause I know like the 12 steps of recovery is a thing and I'm trained in, you know, the 12, why 12 step, 12 are, you know what I'm saying? So why 12 SR? And I, and I love her model and I loved her training, but I wasn't finding that, you know, that the whole AA program was working for me at all. And in fact, I found some really, harmful pieces of it, particularly surrounding dominant culture um, and just external versus internal healing that wasn't resonating with me. Um, but I loved the idea of like having steps, right? Of having 12, I, the steps are cool, right? You can use them in any way, whether you're in recovery or not. That's not gonna hurt you. It's more of the the global understanding of, of recovery, which is a whole nother conversation. But, um, So I was like, how could I do like a twist on the 12 steps that actually has to do with integration of your body and and freedom? Um, And so that's where that idea came from. And so I just was like, how do I walk through the world in a way that integrates breath, spirit, mind, body connection and joy? And so then I just kind of started to write about those themes and the 12 steps kind of popped out of that. Thanks for sharing some about it. And and was I imagine the process of releasing it or launching it was different than becoming free. This one was actually super fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even designing it was fun. Like the first book, I was like cringing. I'm like, I don't really want like my boobs on a cover. Like, <laughs> like you know how the you know graphic designers do all that kind of stuff. Um, so this one was really more. You can even tell from the colors, like it's bright mm-hmm. orange. Yeah, you know what I mean? And it's gold and it's, you know, I have new branding colors of, you know, gold and, and orange, which would never, you know, I always wear black. And um, so we were kind of playing around with like the chakras and, you know, gut and, and all the, you know, themes of, of chakras and orange came out and it was just so much more uplifting. And also I think, cause I was going through this transition in my life where I had, it was almost like I was leveling up in another stage of, of life of like the first book of it was like really getting the alcohol out and really getting the trauma out. Now it's like, how do I live a life of abundance in which I'm just not sort of stuck in the trauma anymore, but how do I 
you know, really elevate this to a way that it feels free. You know, I'm not just like, okay, I, I got to that point. What's the next point? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. Like how can it becoming free and then like feeling free and yeah. reveling that sensation and experience of freedom sounds like is, is part of the link, but also the transition or transformation that happened between the first and the second book. Yeah. Joy was so present. I think um, like I'm such a joyful person, but there was, I think pieces of my life in which I wasn't feeling joyful. Um, and I was like, what is going on with that? Um, obviously my marriage was one that was holding me back. And so I had to really look at how do I break open and so that I can access joy on a more regular basis. Um, Cause in some ways recovery can make you feel very rigid, right? Like you have to like do a live a certain way so that you X don't relapse or whatever. But I was feeling pretty grounded in that piece, but joy was like, how do you just access more joy in the world? So that book really helped me to, to figure some of that out. Mm-hmm. And how are you, um, what's bringing you joy at this time in your life? Oh my gosh. So I, um, I moved to this wonderful apartment that I now live in, which feels like a house and it's a cottage on Cape Cod, which was like such a game changer. <laughs> it's like my own space. Um, that is bringing me lots and lots of joy. Um, the second book has really taken off in a, in a really fun way. And um, I love speaking engagements. And so I'm, I'm you know, kind of going around doing a tour, but um, doing a lot of speaking, which is just bringing me so much joy. If um, It's more just like, people's looks on their faces when I say the word unfuck your stuck is mm-hmm. <laughs> they're like wait I want some of that yeah yeah and what they don't know is that they already have that but um, I'm happy to you know offer anything that helps anyone along along that path and just to hear uh, people's stories so um, I'd say those two two things my dog always brings me so much joy too yeah that that guy <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I understand that Jasper's um you can't see him right now but he's he's on the ground curled up on his cushion next to me so lots of joy there too and um I have two questions one is related to joy but the answer may be different a lot of times on this podcast I'll ask people how they're finding refuge so refuge Mm. can can be the same as joy but sometimes it's like it's not, it's like, where's your shelter or who are the people or where are the places um, that you go that help you remember who you are or help you reground, right? And recenter. So that's one question I have, which I'd love to hear some about. So um, my daughter is always grounding to me, whether I like it or not. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I say that because Sometimes I need to hear messages about myself, especially if I'm like anxious or ornery. Um, and so she's always just a person that um, I find refuge in and um, really find a whole lot of joy in. Like she was dancing last night. She was my Valentine's date. We were <laughs> making fettuccine Alfredo with shrimp. And she was like, we need to be dancing while we're doing this. Like, <laughs> it's just so joyful. Um, so she's, you know, someone that always brings me that. Um and as much as my nonprofit stresses me out with the funding, um, I now have a team of people that um, feel really like my caretakers, um, which is bringing me a lot of refuge in which, you know, it was not. It was mm-hmm. pretty much, it was tearing me apart uh, for a good while there. And um, I did a lot of work to, to get some people in places um, that I don't, I'm not doing this alone anymore. 
Um, there is a person of color that is helping with the funding. That is a game changer in terms of just language and me having a connection with somebody um, that I don't have to explain it all to in terms of racism and funding. <laughs> so, and, right. she can, and she can take over when I'm like that. This meeting's not for me. Um, so I just think those two things have been really, really helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad to hear one about your daughter and the dancing and the joy <laughs> and two about the nonprofit. And because I know some about that journey and that you feel more supported because it speaks to what we said earlier about we can't heal in isolation, right? We can't do it all. And I know in your particular story and your experience that some of this is like translating the urgency and importance um, to white-bodied individuals, right? (laughs) Who might say they support this, but need to put money behind that or action behind that. I know that's part of the particular struggle that you've experienced. And of course, many other BIPOC folks who are holding space and creating space in the way, in the way you are. Yeah, for sure. So my other question is, is, are you writing since writing is, is, it sounds like a tool for healing. It has been for you. Are you working on another project? Are you thinking of another project? Not that you have to be. I'm just curious to know if you want to share. That's so funny. So my agent, (laughs) we we have a meeting tomorrow to talk about the next project and what that's going to look like. Um, So I don't know what it's going to look like. I have been writing um, just because I've had a lot of experiences that um, I just feel like I want to put down, not for necessarily anyone, but just for my own purposes. Um, And I had some health issues. I kind of skipped over that whole part, um, which contributed to a lot of my stress. Um, I had fibroids in my uterus and that was um, causing a lot of physical and emotional pain, which I didn't realize until way later. And then I had to get them removed. But that um, I did it very holistically in terms of how I heal. Um, So I've I've been writing a lot about that. Um, The next project may or may not be about that. Um, I'm guessing it might have some of that, but it might also have to do with um, new love, maybe. That's Mm. That's all you're getting. (laughs) that's it we don't get any more we have to wait we have to wait if it's about (laughs) holistic healing or or love or both I mean I would say they're probably connected actually you know that's there's a link between the two that's exciting I had a feeling there was another because this is how it happens I feel like for many of us um, where there's like a project and then, oh, there's another project and right. then there's another writing project, even if we didn't, sort of when we began, anticipate, like right. you didn't anticipate writing your second book and right. and now you're looking at another project and, and <laughs> getting that into the work. So, yeah. so yeah, I had a feeling that was um, on deck and, yeah. and happening for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, I... Um, Sometimes I ask people about the dream they have for their body of work or their, if it's related to a book they've launched um, or project they've launched. And I know um, you, you have your nonprofit and the work you do in your books. And then this next project that is coming into formation now. Mm-hmm. And what I'm actually more I think drawn to ask is about a dream for your daughter, because 
I mean, you can answer any one of the things I just said. I'm just thinking about the the moment you spoke of earlier and the decision to go to rehab when you were on the way to pick her up from um, preschool. I'm also thinking about becoming free. I'm also thinking about what you said earlier around like, and you wrote this, right? I'm not gonna be my mom, mm -hmm. right? Or I realized I was like my mom and I'm not gonna do that and this conscious choice. And so I'm, if you feel called to share a dream for her that we can hold as a community, the people, mm -hmm will listen to this episode i would love for you to speak that into to being yeah this is going to be a complicated answer but it's i'm going to say it anyway so what is so such a struggle for me with her is that she's so free i mean she is so unapologetic she's already she's like already living her dream she's already living in the way that i would hope that she would live I think what's hard for me is that I never got that as a kid. And so it kind of triggers my trauma and I get real agitated. And so I have, that's like my new work that I have to do all the time is to allow that freedom to be so beautiful um, and to like honor that I cultivated it and that to <laughs> not screw it up by like getting my own stuff in the way. So like, honestly, my dream is that like I can hold myself in so much grace that my trauma can just continue to release without interacting with her growth in any way. So yeah, that's what I would say about that because it's kind of complicated in that when I see her, I like, I will be very honest, like I'm like jealous of the fact that she can just dance in the kitchen and know that I'm there and I will always pick her up. And like, there's, she just doesn't, she doesn't have no consciousness of that, even though she was adopted and that she had, some scary stuff happened. It was very, very early and she doesn't have very memory, you know, much memory of that. Um, so I just am like, can I have this being still be so free? Um, you know, and I worry about racism and she's really dark skin and we live on Cape Cod and, you know, there's less than 10% of people of color, that whole thing. Um, I worry about that yet. I have conversations with her about that and she's so self grounded. That <laughs> It's just, it's just, it's amazing. Um, so there's that. And then for myself, if I can add a dream in, like I just do all these things for other people. I do a lot of them. You know, I have this nonprofit. I would love to step back and have somebody else run that. And I just want to travel. Can we speak that into existence? You just did. <laughs> we can hold that. Yeah. I'm glad that you, you spoke that because I do know you give a lot and hold a lot and, offer so much and um i'm glad you you were like and i'm gonna add this for myself and speak it and allow community to hold that with you so that you can make space to travel and do what it is whatever it is right you want to do I explore i just want to yeah. world in which i speak of so often but i want to just be without having to worry about like now I have to go to this funding meeting. Like, I just want to, <laughs> I just want to explore the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I want that for you too. And I appreciate what you named about your daughter. I was talking to my mom the other day and she said, I know that I was supposed to be your mom and you were supposed to be my daughter. Right. <laughs> she was like, and God wanted it that way. This is what she said to me. And I was like, I think you're, you're right about that. And I don't always say that about that feels right for me and my mother. I, I don't, I'm not projecting that on everyone else because sure. I think our experiences are so 
different. People may not embrace that. And there is this belief, right, that we we come in and are with the people either who we need to be with or who will teach us or who will push us, or who will reveal what needs to be revealed. So I can get behind that for sure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or who will be part of our healing or us reclaiming our healing and, and sovereignty around that, which is part of what I hear. And well, I've heard actually throughout the, this conversation, it feels like a theme. And what you named about your daughter, she's so free and <laughs> she it can push up against the ways in which you were not able to be free as a child and have had to come into that and sort of learn that and how interesting that she's come into your life as a mirror, sounds like, and a witness, right, to your process of becoming free and how you're, it sounds like, really clear about not wanting to stifle her mm-hmm. freedom. Right. So I'll just offer that because it felt timely what my mom just said to me mm-hmm. the other night and then this what you shared about your daughter and yourself um, and your story. Mm, yeah. 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 And thank you for being, I say this to people all the time and I always mean it. Thank you for being um, Mm -hmm. more being for you in the future, just being, and thank you for writing and sharing your story and being so open about your um, life and moving through and for your gifts and the tools you offer um, and the healing you offer Um, to yourself and and others. So thank you so much. Thank you. It's been wonderful just having this conversation and to see you again. And often when I get in places that are sticky, uh, particularly with racism um, and deaths and police, and I scour internet to find what you have written about it. (laughs) And it is super grounding. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Or I just think about the bees. <laughs> yeah, or the bees, the yeah, magic and alchemy and medicine yeah. and healing that's happening on many different, in many different realms and many different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Good to be with you today. Good to be with you too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Finding Refuge. If you are enjoying the podcast, I encourage you to share it with friends and family members and to rate it on iTunes. In addition to sharing about this podcast, you can support my work in the world by becoming a patron on Patreon. You can find me there as Michelle C. Johnson, Skill in Action, Yoga and Social Justice. I offer monthly movement and meditation practices as well as a monthly divination reading. Lastly, I want to share that I have a new book coming out in April of 2023. We Heal Together, Rituals and Practices for Building Community and Connection. It is currently available for pre-order and you can go to the Penguin Random House website Search Michelle Johnson or We Heal Together and pre-order my book. There are several spaces you can pre-order it from. Thank you so much and take care.